This is the Gate Charlotte Podcast. You're listening to a message by Pastor John Matthews. This morning, though, I want to talk to you about something that if you've been here for more than two years, you're probably familiar with it, but we're going to hit it again. And um, I want to actually talk to you about the whole concept of the gate. And uh, I was preparing, a, we're, we're getting ready for this conference coming up, and we've got some new branding coming out, and new t-shirts and all that stuff that we're going to be putting out. And, and one of them is going to say on it, we are the gate. And, amen. I have no voice, I sound like that baby. Oh, that's how I'm preaching this morning. Um, but how many of you know that the gates, what we have here is just a building that we facilitate for actually for the gate to come and worship together. But this is actually just a building that we facilitate what God's doing in. And I want you to flip in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 28, verse 10. Can I get a water, guys? Thanks. (laughs) Someone's got the giggles over there. Genesis 28. Verse 10, you ready? Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. He reached a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set, and he took one of the stones from the place, and he put it there at his head and laid down in that place. I always thought that was an awkward thing for a pillow. (laughs) And he dreamed. Everybody say, he dreamed. Don't discount your dreams. The things you dream at night. Do not discount those. If, if I did that, we wouldn't have this, this ministry called the gate. It came out of a dream. It says that um, he dreamed, and a stairway was set on the ground with its top reaching the sky. Most translations are going to say a ladder, and God's angels were going up and down. Everybody say up and down. Okay. Interesting, they were not going down and back up. You'll get it. And the Lord was standing there beside him, saying, I am the Lord of your God, your father Abraham, Abraham, and the Lord God of Isaac, and I will give you and your offspring the land on which you are lying. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth. And you will spread out towards the west and the east and the north and the south, and all the peoples of the, on the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I want you to notice and Mike did a wonderful job when he talked about covenants, that God's initial intent is always to bless. He's always to bless. He came to him with a powerful word. You're going to be blessed from every direction. He said, look, I am with you, and I will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, What an awesome place is this. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Everybody say the gate. Early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that was near his head and set it up as a marker. And he poured oil on top of it, and he named the place Bethel, though previously the city was named Luz. Let's stop there. 
this passage is just extremely packed full of incredible just nuggets of what God was calling out. It was was like this prototype of a believer that was going to come one day. And there's so much, one of, the ways we, I mean, one of the ways we study our Bible is we go back to what we call the first mention of something, the first time it was ever said. You guys familiar with that? Reason being is because typically over the years we mess it up so bad we have to go back to what it first meant. It's, you can get taught so many bad ways, we got to reset every so often. It's like, let's just go back and read what it actually meant. And so the very first time that the word church or house of God was mentioned is in this passage. Now, you have to pay attention because you got to think about the context. you got to think about the activities. Everything that was going on was defining the house of God. They didn't come together and decide to have church and then say, let's name this the house of God. God showed up and said, this is what the house of God looks like. And so... Angels, as I mentioned before, interestingly enough, were ascending and descending, not descending and ascending, which tells me that there was already incredible spiritual activity that was going on around Jacob that he didn't even notice. And so Jacob awakens from his sleep, and, and, and he confirms that the supernatural activity was already happening with this statement. Surely the Lord, surely... The Lord is in this place, and I did not even know it. I wonder how many moments that we can blow right through, that if we would just slow down a little bit, just a little bit, that we would stop and say, wow, God is actually in this. I didn't even know it. He then names the place Bethel. Bethel means house of God. The house of God was defined by supernatural activity. I know that people will say, well, our church isn't into that. Well, that's, your church can do what you want, but the church was defined by supernatural activity. The church was, (laughs) the house of God was birthed from a supernatural moment. Your Bible says so. The house of God was never supposed to be, the church was never supposed to be divorced from the supernatural. There was never meant to be spirit-filled churches and non-spirit-filled churches. We've drawn lines that he never drew. I could even go farther with that, that we often consider things supernatural and natural, and he didn't even draw those lines, actually. You'll notice something with the pattern of Jesus when he came and did ministry on earth. He never defined things as that's supernatural and that's natural because everything supernatural was natural to him. <laughs> there, there was no like, well, that's the supernatural thing that we do on Sundays, but then we're going to go do the natural thing and this, that, and go to work, and then we'll come back next week and do that supernatural thing. That's not how God rolled. Jesus was like, everywhere I go is supernatural. And we have to stop drawing lines that he's not drawing. And so here he is. He's this, here's this encounter that Jacob has. And, 
And it's amazing to me that, you know, he had this encounter with angels. And he had this, this whole encounter. He says, because of this, we're going to name this place Bethel, House of God. And you have to realize that when this was written, it's a lot different than it is today because it was actually a location. They didn't have the opportunity. Let's see, you can get way ahead of me. I can take you to the end of my sermon right now, and then I'll work you back up. You're the house of God now. I'm going to blow it. I'm going to tell you the end of the story, but you already knew it. You're the house of God now. Back then, that's not how it worked. At the most, the Holy Spirit would come upon prophets for an assignment, and they'd speak it, and then it lift off. And the Holy Spirit would come upon them. Well, they didn't have the opportunity to just be the house of God like we do. I mean, <laughs> Jacob, man, he would love to be alive today. But he's actually the one that defined what the house of God should look like. So if you ever wonder what a Christian should look like, we're getting ready to talk about it. And I can assure you, it's not missing the supernatural. Because the house of the Lord was always meant to be an overflow from a supernatural encounter. It was always meant to be something that was flowing from a supernatural encounter. In this encounter with the Lord, Jacob saw three primary elements that is usually what I focus on. And like I said, if you've been here more than two years, you've probably heard this, but you're going to have to hear it again. And it was three things that were happening. There was angelic activity. Right? There was angels. There was the voice of the Father. The Father was speaking. Right? It's not a trick question. Angels were present. Angelic activity was there. And it was an open heaven. Those were the three things that Jacob said, this is the house of God. Every believer is responsible to have three things happening in their life. Angelic activity, the voice of the Father, and an open heaven. That defines the house of God. Are you with me? So Jacob says that this place is none other than the gate of heaven. One of the absolute core values that I want to take away from this passage is that Jacob's experience didn't define the spirit realm. The spirit realm actually defined his experience. He said, I wasn't even aware that this was happening, but he said it was still happening. He said, I didn't even recognize it. Jacob was saying, just because I had... He said, just because I had yet to experience it doesn't change what was actually happening. Why is that important? Because some people are, you know, we come in with this mentality. Well, if it's happening, the Lord will show me. As if you can really understand all the ways of the Lord. There are things that are happening in this room right now that none of us have any concept of. There are so many angels in this room right now. I'm, I'm for real, guys. Some of you are new to this and you're already weirded out, but just hang in there. Better angels than demons. <laughs> Better life than death. Some people get weirded out. I'm like, boy, it could be a bunch of demons. That'd be, if you want that. 
Go for it. I'm cool with angels. I'm always pushing my limits, trying to see what else I can engage with angels. Because you do realize that they're servants. You're heirs. Don't, don't, they're powerful carrying assignments. But don't look at them as above you because you're children. You're actually married in. The Bible says you're actually more than an overcomer. What does that mean? Imagine it this way. Imagine that you, you, you know, there's a, there's a boxing fight that happens and, and uh, <laughs> whatever, you know, you're fighting, you fight, 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 fight. You're coming out, the guy's fighting, he's all bloody. <laughs> and uh, he wins. We got the winner. The wife runs on stage. She is more than an overcomer because she gets all of the perks of victory but didn't have to fight the battle that he had already won. <laughs> you guys got to get excited. Come on. Tiffany, you got them too like, oh, after worship. It's like talking to people that are like, hey, that's good, man. <laughs> Come on, guys. Help me out a little bit. I'm telling you, man, it's like he did all the work. He says, I've already won the battle. So you get to just come up on here and say, woo, we won. You didn't have to fight. Amen, whatever that was. <laughs> you just get to be more than an overcomer. He was the overcomer. I said he was the overcomer. But you see, the bride gets to come on and say, hey, what's yours is mine, pal. And we are the bride of Christ. You won. That big old check you got, I get it too. Y'all need to read Ephesians. <laughs> Ephesians says that every spiritual blessing that he has, you have. Why? You're married. You're married. None of this baloney about, you know, I'm just this. We, we finally, like in the 90s, started figuring out we were a friend of God. I'm serious. Before that, it was like I'm a slave. But he loves me. What a great father. That will sell. Come to my church. Be a slave with me. So in the 90s, we started, Israel Houghton put out a song that finally started really changing the worship that said, I am a friend of God. I am a friend. Y'all remember that one? We sung that like 12 million times. Because it was like one of the only songs that were out there that was like declaring, I am a friend of God because he... How do I not know it? I let it. <laughs> because he calls me friend. Duh. So, so you got that. And then, and then we, st we started beginning to understand that we were his children. There's this progression that it was like back here was slave, but then children. Well, friend, and then children. And then we began to understand I am a child of God. But, 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 then, but then it even gets better. I'm... I'm actually the bride of God. I'm actually the bride. The church is the bride. You are the bride. Deal with it, guys. You're the bride. You can be a manly bride, but you are the bride. The dude's always... <laughs> I was talking to my son about that one day. He had trouble with that. <laughs> my boy busted his face. He fell. 
won't tell you the whole story. I was doing premarital counseling with a couple. He comes in with blood dripping off his face. And uh, he comes in, and we get it fixed, take him to the urgent care. And he's like, Dad, looks like somebody punched me. He was so proud of it. He was like, <laughs> I said, son, this is when you tell everybody, just say this. You should see the other guy. And he's like, I like that. <laughs> yeah, he came in like big and bad, you know. But listen, you are more than an overcomer because you are, you are the bride of Christ. And actually, I could take it even farther because it even goes farther than that. It actually says that you're, this is where it gets, gets weird, but sorry. actually, you're his body. That's what the Bible says. You're one with him. I'm not making this up. That's a long ways from a slave. This is important that you understand this because people say, well, you know, we just asked for the glory of the Lord. I want to carry the glory of the Lord. And some people will say, well, there's a passage that says, well, God won't give his glory to any other person. Yeah, that would make sense if you were any other person. That would make sense if you were a different person. But the Bible says that you're in him and he's in you. You are one. Some of you are still catching up. Okay. He's not just giving it to anyone else. He says, you're in me and I'm in you. You get what I get. You get my glory. I'm not giving it away to someone else. I'm just giving more to me. You don't know what you got, guys. And I am not preaching on the gate. We got to get back. <laughs> Bring it back. Bring it back just a little bit. Oh. We can sit here week after week after week after week and never even know that the king is present if we don't actually pursue visitations. <sighs> Living at the gate, being a person that operates at the gate is a place where there's a, there is just a continual supernatural atmosphere. It's not meant to leave when you go home. It's not meant to, like, leave church and say, oh, I hate I had to leave that. Then don't. Crank it up. I tell people, man, crank up your own Holy Spirit. <laughs> it's what the gate, it's what happens at the gate. I'm taking my time for a reason this morning. I'm just kind of letting things sink in a little bit. Because I think that we have to grab this, that we are surrounded continually by life, by supernatural activity, by angelic activity. And we could just be another Jacob that says, I had no idea that was happening around me. Or we can open our eyes to recognize what God's doing around us because that's what he's called us to be. You are a walking encounter that someone else needs. You're a walking encounter that someone else needs. Bill Johnson says it well. He says, you owe it to the world to give them what you carry. You owe it to the world. Like We owe it to them. You owe it to your grocery store, the people that you see all the time, to love them in God's love. You owe it to the guy that is, you see continually that's got a limp to at least offer to pray for him. What if, it, what if he doesn't get healed? What if he does? If he doesn't, he goes home the same way. If he does, his life has changed. Experience is powerful. I said experience is powerful. 
people that experienced God's healing, that, that young guy just came up here and God healed his arm. Someone can come up to him this week and say, God doesn't heal. He ain't going to give a rip about that, is he? Why? Because he he's going to go, right. <laughs> Why? Because he's not at the mercy of an argument because he's not bringing an argument. He's bringing an experience. So many people focus on the argument. Jesus didn't work that way. He never sat him down and says, okay, disciples, I'm going to teach you a 12-step process to convince people that I am real. No, he said, guys, guys, real easy, real easy. You're going to go out. You're going to do this in my name. You're going to pray for people. The sick are going to get healed. The lepers are going to be healed. The dead are going to rise. And you're going to have a lot of fun doing it. That was their Bible school. That was it. He didn't tell them how. Oh, well, it's in my name. Okay. So it sends them out. What do they do? People are getting healed like crazy. Why? Because they just said yes. We got to get this, guys, man. If I, the only people that ever, <laughs> I'm not going to say that. Um, but we got to get the importance of experience over knowledge. Don't get me wrong, I think it's powerful to understand our Bible. I, I'm, I'm a full believer of that, but theology with an, without an encounter is pointless. Theology without an encounter was never how it was meant to be. Jesus never came. Actually, most of the time, if you see the ministry of Jesus, it was not, um, let me teach you this and then show it. It was, let me show you this, and then I'll just tell you, tell you what happened. Read, read, your, read the New Testament, guys. Read how Jesus did it. He'd be like, bam. They'd be like, whoa, what was that? All right, I'll kind of explain it a little bit. He was not like, now guys, I'm going to try to keep a real seeker-friendly ministry here. And so we're just going to make sure we don't bother anybody, but something could happen. And, and if it does, it's okay. We've got catchers. We've, we've got a team, we've got a group of pastors over here that will help you. Jesus was just like, sits before the multitude and he says, okay guys, um, here's the deal. You're going to have to drink my blood and eat my flesh if you want to follow me. And he did not say, first of all, this is a metaphor. I'm trying to show you something. No, he just went, dude, Jesus was like the, the biggest mic drop ever. He was just like, you will, the Bible says that everyone left, and the Bible actually says that even disciples left. Even some of his followers left. Something important happens here. Peter, he looks to Peter. I love that he talked to Peter. Peter has such a big mouth. I love it, man. He's the, guy that ever, he's the guy that everybody's like, cannot believe you picked Peter for one of these guys. He was the mouth of the town. And same. <laughs> She's like, same. Jordan, don't even make a room. And so Jesus looks at Peter and he says, what do you want to do, Peter? Peter says, well, looks around at the empty place. He says, you know, um, I'm going to be straight with you, Jesus. This doesn't make any sense to me. I'm paraphrasing. He said, I don't understand. He said, this is hard to understand. He says, but all I know is that your words are life. And when you speak them, I feel life. 
This is the same guy that when Jesus came to his boat and said, take your nets out there, and he said, well, that sounds dumb, but I'll do it. He did it anyways. It was on the word of the Lord that changed everything. And so Peter says, I don't know where else I'd go because I can't leave the words of life. So you guys get to live with it. He wasn't there yet. The words of life were hanging around Jesus. Where would you want to go? Can I, can I tell you something? And I didn't think I was going to go here this morning, but I'm going to go there. You know when Jesus, there's something about this thing with the words of life that I don't think we understand the power of his words. The closest thing as a father that I can ever experience to life is when I've seen my children born. That's like the most powerful moment of life I think anybody can experience is a child being born. His words, that experience, that feeling for those of you that have been there for that, that's contained in his words. And when he speaks, people feel life. Peter's, Peter was in a point, he couldn't go down to another church down the street. They didn't have it yet. The only source of the words of life were coming out of Jesus' mouth right now. And he said, I don't care where they went. You're, you feel really good to hang out with. Because everybody else told me how terrible I was, but not you. Everybody else told me how big of a mouth I had, but not you. You just keep speaking life. And so Jesus, remember the story when Jesus had, long story short, but when he had been crucified and died and he rose from the dead and there was a story about how he was going to meet the disciples and on his way, I think he just took a little detour through where he had been buried or in the tomb and he meets Mary. You guys know what I'm talking about? He meets Mary there and she's crying Interesting fact that she didn't recognize him. She knew him, but she didn't recognize him. She thought he was the gardener. And she was so distraught because he's gone, and she's saying, do you know where they took his body? You guys remember the story I'm talking about? She said, do you know where he, they, they took his body? Jesus says, Mary. One word. He just said, Mary, what happened? The life came out. She may not have been able to see who he was because he was changing. But when he spoke, she said, that's that life. She grabbed him. He said, no, you can't do that yet. I haven't gone to my father yet. She grabbed him. The first Try not to get too teachery. But the first person that ever touched Jesus when he was born as a baby was a virgin. Mama. The first person to touch Jesus in the new covenant when he was raised from the dead was a harlot. Why? Because now he was ex he was mercy and grace was pouring off of him. And, and the first person that ever touched him was not a virgin. We stepped into a new covenant. 
And he said, you know, in the old covenant, if you touch things that were unclean, you became unclean. But now it's different. You can touch unclean things and make them clean. Just everything changed. The church, the, the, the church is... The church is still trying to figure this one out. Like, I don't want to get dirty. Jesus, I mean, the first scene is a harlot hanging on to him. He could have been like, whoa, this is going to look bad. Whoa, 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 whoa. Who could blame her? She felt love. She felt grace. When he said, Mary, she said, it's you. She grabbed him. The shift was so huge, guys. The picture that he had to be born of a virgin to the, to, you get he was born from the dead after he died. The Bible said he was born, he was reborn. That's why when you get a Christian, you say, oh, they were reborn, right? At his rebirth, the first person that grabbed him was a harlot. Everything changed. We're called, we're called to be the same conduit of heaven that Jesus is. When he walked and he said her name and life penetrated her, you can do that. I want to just get to the point with inner healing, I can just say someone's name and everything changes. I mean it. I mean, imagine that. Why? Because your name has your identity in it. I know we don't make much out of names like they did in the old days, but your name has so much. That's, that's your, it's your title. And when Jesus spoke a name over them, he knew that that name, he knew the past and he knew the future of that name. And when he spoke that name, all of their being came alive because it just had released into it their destiny. He can just say, Andrew. And everything explodes in your heart. Stop downplaying yourself, guys. Realize that the people that are surrounding you that are hurting, all they actually need to hear is the Father speak their name. And sometimes he sounds like you. I put this on social media, but Bill Vanderbush made a remark. He said, speak to Jesus in every person until you see him emerge. What does that mean? I talk to Jesus because I see him in you guys. I see him in people. I speak to that, and I'll speak it, and I'll speak it. Sooner or later, I'll start seeing it come out. It's like, oh, there it is. There it is. There's the lion. There's the boldness. There's the courage. I love people who are like, well, I'm just a really meek person. <laughs> oh, that's cute. It's the meek people that scare you to death in a wild worship service. Like, they're the ones that are, like, really quiet, and they get hit, and they're just like, ah, you're like, whoa, whoa. I did not know that could come out of you. <laughs> it's like something happens when you realize what is inside of you. We are the gates of heaven, guys. That's what the Bible says. You are the house of God. I'm just going to hit a couple pieces of this, but I don't have time to go through all of the different pieces. So here's these angels. There's this ladder, Jacob's ladder. 
where the supernatural activity was happening. Angels were going up and down. Let's do this. Let's just flip to uh, John. Kind of bring it down there. John chapter 1. All right, John chapter 1, verse 14. You guys still with me? All right, John chapter 1, verse 14 says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory of as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. All right, that's all I want to read. Everybody say the word became flesh. Okay. A.K.A. Jesus. He dwelt among us. We observed his glory. They couldn't partake in it yet. They got to watch it. When he first came. The word that he dwelt. Said he dwelt among us. That word dwelt means he tabernacled. Okay, that's what that word actually means. House. Okay? So here we have Jacob in Genesis where he talks about the first mention of the house of God, right? The very first mention was in that place, house of God. Then we have the second mention of the house of God was that Jesus became flesh and he became the house of God. The second one. If you stay in the same chapter and you flip over to verse 47, it says this. It says, then Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. (laughs) How do you know me? Jesus was the best at like the one-liner pickups. Like He was like, here comes a guy with no deceit. Do we know each other? That's a pretty heavy line to open up on. Talk about calling out identity right off the top. He says, how do you know me? And he says, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now Jesus is moving in like words of knowledge and stuff, and he's really weirding him out. He's like, I actually saw you when you were under that fig tree. Okay. Rabbi, Nathaniel replied, You are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus responded to him, Do you believe in me just because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? He said, You will see greater things than this. I want you to pause there. A lot of people read that verse, I think, out of context. It's almost like Jesus is angry. He's not like, he's not being snarky. He's not like, this is how I kind of saw it. Oh, now you believe in me because I called you out. Does that match the personality and the character of Jesus? Come on. These are some really legit questions you should ask yourself when you read your Bible. Would a good Jesus do that? He ain't moody. Come on, church. Come on. You need to ask these questions when you read it and you interpret it. Oh, well, Jesus was having a rough morning. He was still good. And he wasn't like, oh, well, 
Now you believe me because I called out a word of knowledge. Read it this way. Do you believe me because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. He wasn't rebuking him. He wasn't rebuking him. He was saying, you think that's cool. That's what he was saying. This was like Jesus like, you think that's cool. There you go, Ken. <laughs> May the record reflect on the audio. <laughs> People, I bet on the podcast, are like, what are you laughing about? He said, you, you believe me now because you saw a word of knowledge? That's cool. But you're going to see way greater things than that. What are the greater things? Then he said, truly I tell you that you will see heaven opened. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Isn't that the house of God? And then the angels of God ascending and descending. Wait a minute. Isn't that the definition of the house of God? On the son of man. (laughs) Hang in there. Jesus is demonstrating on himself what happened in Genesis. He's saying, okay, it happened there, but you get to see it happen on me. That's what Jesus said. Now, that's cool enough, right? But except for, guess what? He's in you. And you're in him. Whatever he gets, you get. What does that mean? That you will see supernatural activity. You will have angels ascending and descending into your life. You hear the voice of the Father. See the progression of what he was laying out? Here it was in Genesis. Here it it was. Jesus was. Jesus was demonstrating what we got to have. I think sometimes we forget how powerful it is that Jesus chose to do this. It wasn't like he was having this argument with his father in heaven. And God's like, all right, I'm tired of this. I'm sending you to earth. I'm stripping you of your powers. And we're going to let you see what it feels like to be a man for a while. Bad Jesus. No, he's, he's, they're having, I mean, I can see this conversation that he's saying, He knew what needed to happen. And he said, all right, I'm going to go down there. And I'm going to release everything I've got. And I'm going to be just like them. Why? Because I'll never tell you to do something that I didn't do first. Jesus, you don't know what I'm going through. Really? Have you been whipped and hung on a cross in front of everyone? He's been through it. And you know what got him through it? This will blow your mind. You. It was for the joy that was set before him. The joy was not getting back to heaven. Jesus. Cross. Humanity can now walk in forgiveness. 
he's looking over there. He said, you know what gets me through this? Is knowing that you get to have forgiveness. You are the joy set before him. You gotta let that sit in. That wrecks me, guys. You're the joy he looked at. I don't know how this works, but I could literally see him almost seeing every face as he's looking at the cross and he's looking on the other side saying, that's what I'm doing it for. It's for Jordan, it's for Ashley. I'm doing it for them. That's what gets me through. Because he said, when I get through with this, they get to have the open heaven. They get to have angels ascending and descending around them. They get to hear my voice all the time. And that's worth it. You are. You are the gate. You are the gate. You are the house of God. You are Bethel. Isn't that powerful? I'm so ready for the church to rise up into this, man, and run with it. The enemy calls it all these things. He'll call it arrogant. He'll call it proud. (laughs) I call it kingdom living, that I get to be just like him. And that was his hope. His hope was that you would get to be just like him and do more than him. And what good dad doesn't want his kid to do better than he did? I'm cool with that. I'm cool with that. Let's stand up. You know, I saw this picture in pre-service prayer this morning. God continually speaks to me through movies I've watched, so this is how I roll. I was back there praying, and out of nowhere, I don't know if you guys have seen the new Wonder Woman. It's not that new, but if you haven't seen it yet, y'all need to catch up, right? There's this scene when Wonder Woman is, I guess she's Wonder Girl. She's a little girl at this point. She doesn't know she's that great. She doesn't know who she is. She doesn't know what's in her. By the way, Hollywood takes our plot all the time, guys, if you haven't figured it out. They just keep retelling the Bible with different figures and different stories, and it's working, but it's ours, all right? I could walk you through every movie, and it's the Bible. Wonder Woman, child of royalty, power within her that she didn't know about. And there's this scene where she's doing this fighting, and she's got these things on her arms. And all of a sudden, it just goes, bam, and just knocks everybody out. And she was like, whoa. I saw this picture, though, when we were praying this morning in the back room. I saw saw every person in that room together going, bam, and this picture of, like, when a jet flies over and that sonic boom, bam, hitting the earth. You think one person's powerful. 
get a bunch of different gates. Lift up your heads, O you gates, the Bible says. I think he was giving you a hint that you are the gate. I haven't seen a gate with a head on it recently, have you? Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Imagine when you get hundreds of people, just bam. You know when the glory of the Lord will cover the earth? When all the people that already live on the earth realize that they got glory. Some of you are still praying for it. I need you just to realize you have it. That's when the glory of the Lord will be revealed on the earth. Is when everybody that already carries it recognizes, I have it. And they begin to acknowledge it. And then the glory of the Lord will cover the earth. You carry it. Thanks, Jesus. He's good, isn't he? We've had quite a week in between Friday night and today. I leaned over to AJ during worship. I said, boy, we are in for the next couple months that are going to be wild. Because usually I feel like I do today after a conference. We hadn't even got to the conference. I'm like, it's just going to be nuts. I mean nuts. Thanks, Jesus. Let's thank him. Thank you, Jesus, that we, you, you, you went through what was needed because you're that good that you're looking at us on the other side saying that I got you. I got you. I want to do something as an activation. Close your eyes a second. Here's what we're going to do. I felt like the Lord told me to do this this morning. I want everyone in this room right now, I want you to try to silence your mind, which it can be hard sometimes if you're praying for something, so take a break and just try to quiet your thoughts a second. And I want you to actually ask the Lord just to speak your name. Whoa. I want you to hear the Father say your name. Hear him say, AJ, Annie, Tiffany, Holly. And you may use a name that no one else even knows is your first name. Hear him say your name. You'll know when he's speaking. It may sound like your words, but there will be life on it. Thanks, Jesus. He's speaking destiny when he says your name he's not worried about now when he saw Nathaniel he said Nathaniel man without deceit when he speaks your name he speaks your destiny <laughs>